I was standing by Pastor George. He did not ask me to do this, but our growth groups start kick off this weekend. Is that correct? He look at this. He was like, "What?" So uh, he did not pay me to talk about this. But what reminded me of it was um, there was a, a dear lady in our church who who lost um, a loved one this week, and I, I I made the phone call to her and just prayed with her over the phone. And the and the thing that really resonated with me on, on growth groups was I said, "Is I always ask, is there anything that I can do? Is there anything we can do as a church?" And her answer was. No, my growth group has surrounded me and has just helped me walk through this. And so here's what I want to say. Um, if you are not in a growth group, you may be watching online or here today. Um, what I noticed during this pandemic when, when our relationship and we weren't meeting, the people who really made it through strong were people that were connected in growth groups because the relationship in their community wasn't based on being in this building. For them, community never stopped, even though they were doing it in Zoom. So if you're looking for community, I cannot strongly um, encourage you enough to be a part of growth groups. So Pastor George is here, and again, he didn't pay me to do that. I'm just telling you from a personal example of a, of a member in our family who went through it. She found out for herself the power of growth groups. So see Pastor George or reach out to us if you're watching online, and we'll get you connected and plugged into a, into a growth group. So you may be familiar, there was a novelist named Anne Rice. And her story, part of her story, began in the year 2000 when she moved from being an atheist and accepted Christ as her savior and became a Christian. However, a decade later, in 2010, she announced that she had had enough of being a Christian and converted back um, to walking away from the faith. And she announced on social media that although she still believed in Jesus, she could no longer associate with his followers. In fact, she posted these words. Let me read them to you. She wrote, today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not being Christian or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me, she says, to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. She writes, for 10 years, I tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. And if we're honest with ourselves, and you probably resonate in the sense that you know of people, if you have heard of people, you yourself may have been frustrated at times and said, you know what? I love Christ. I just don't like Christians. And I'm out. I've had enough. Because Anne isn't alone in her thinking. Many at this moment have and are choosing to walk away from the body of Christ while saying they're not walking away from Christ himself. You may be here today and have those thoughts or maybe on the verge of walking away from the body of Christ but saying to yourself, I'm not walking away from Jesus Christ himself. My guess is there's probably some watching online that have already made that decision, which is why they're watching online. And I want to be perfectly clear as your pastor that this is an individualistic 
view of church and of God and one that the Bible simply doesn't support. So today we're going to look at the text Romans chapter 12 verses 3 through 8. Last week we looked at the first two verses of Romans and Paul in his letter in these five verses talks about that tension and what it means to be connected and part of the family of God or as we would say the body of Christ. So if you missed last week or just to refresh us we looked at uh, this is verse 2 in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 we looked at this second verse and Paul writes don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person. And all of this transformation happens, Paul says, by changing the way that we think or this renewing of the mind. And then he says, then you will learn to know once our minds are renewed or we change the way we think, God's will for you. And God's will is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And I named this series Mosaic because a mosaic is one big picture that's made up of smaller images. And so we have been talking about this body of Christ, the family of God, is one big picture. And the big picture, part of that, should be that we are cross people. We talked about dying. We are distinctive people. We should be distinctive in our mosaic. Our picture should look different than the world and the culture around us. And that this changing the way we think, this transformation happens by us being spirit people, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So recognizing our transformation to be people of the cross, distinctively different, happens through the Spirit's work in changing the way our brains work, that reprogramming, that renewing of the mind. So today, this weekend, we're going to discover that this changing the way we think, this renewing of our mind, this reprogramming, that it also refers and it must change the way in which we think about the Christian community. The changing the way we think must also apply to how we think of church and the body of Christ. So as I did last week, everyone stand. We're gonna read God's word together. They're gonna to put it on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. Let's look together at Romans chapter 12. We're gonna read from verse three through verse eight. Here we go, the reading of God's word. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. 
And if you have a gift for showing kindness, do it gladly. Father, we have heard again the reading of your word that I remind us is a living and alive. And we, your people, the body of Christ, your children, the family of God have read it aloud today. So I pray that you would unite us. Lord, on this weekend when we remember the tragic events of 9-11, I am reminded that one of the outcomes was an incredible showing of unity in this country. And Lord, the unity that we need is in the unity of the body of Christ. But that unity comes through the power of your spirit and our, our, the only thing that breaks down division of the walls is understanding that we are all one through the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about what it means to be one body, one people, your church, would you unite us beyond this local congregation, but globally, your holy people? And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we go back to Romans chapter 12 and those five verses, three through eight, I want to talk about cultural blinders. I want to talk about some of the challenges that happens for us as as Western Americans. That when we open God's word and we read, oftentimes we read through cultural blinders. I mean, every culture does that. But it can be especially challenging for us as we read God's word, look to understand God's word, its meaning and its context, Cultural blinders can be a roadblock to that. Let me give you an example. I mentioned that we're, we're West, Western readers. Well, Western societies have a Western mindset. And often in the Western world, in us, we place individual priorities above community priorities. Western societies are, by and large, individualistic societies, meaning the most important entity in an individualistic culture like ours here in the West is the individual person. You you see where I'm going? Okay. And I think we can all relate to that. The highest goal or the highest virtue is to be true to one's own self. The supreme value is the sovereignty of an individual, not necessarily the community. Now, I'm going to pause here, and I I want everybody to tune your ears real close, because some of you are getting nervous, because here's the thing. It's really hard to explain the difference between a Western mindset when we talk about individualism versus an Eastern mindset or other parts of the world when we talk about community or commonality. Because as I begin, and here a few moments, we start explaining the difference, we are going to feel really judged and personal, and it's going to sound like I'm being critical of our Western mindset. I am not being critical, okay? I'm simply explaining the difference. It's hard because this is just the way we were raised. It's how we think. I'm proud of our country. I believe in individual rights and freedoms. I'm simply bringing this up and illustrating the difference between a Western mindset of individualism 
and an Eastern mindset of community that puts a community or family first because it does affect how we read God's word and apply. Is everyone with me on the same page on that? Okay, I'm just simply doing this to address the cultural blinders. I'm not making an argument that one is better than the other. But in a Western mindset, individuality and expression of the individual are often far more important and valued than the community. And most of us, this is why we get a little defensive, because we resonate with that and we believe in that. And that's okay. But it does affect our thinking and our interpretation of God's word. Let me give you an example. And again, I'm, not, I'm using this as an example. I'm not making an argument for or against. School uniforms. I've traveled, mentioned it several times in different parts of the world. In most, you go to Africa, for example, most schools, they have school uniforms, and there are some in, a, in America that have school uniforms. Anecdotally speaking, speaking, evidence shows that when students wear school uniforms, there's reduced levels of bullying because everybody's wearing the same clothes. Um, oftentimes, academic performances you'll see are higher at schools when they have matching uniforms. Safety, someone comes in, a student comes in, and they're not wearing that uniform, they stand out. Can you recognize that? Okay, but we struggle with that and talking about that. Why? Because we value individualism. A, a child should be able to dress and express themselves individually. And I understand that. I'm simply pointing out the difference between an Eastern mindset that may put the priority of the community over the rights of the individual. You still with me? Okay, so that's an example. There are a couple examples in our Western mindset, though, where we have subcultures that value community over individuals. I'll give you two. And I used this example last week, but sports is one. Okay, sports does put the team above the individual, at least most of the time, unless you're a wide receiver. Okay, I'm joking, but you get, the, you get the point. I'll use football as an example. The team comes together and one part is not greater than the whole, but you, you even see that. I joked about wide receivers, but you even see that tension play out on the team. Well, is it about the personality and the individual and the celebrations of the one person versus the common goal of the team? And you, we see that played out. We do it here. We see it here in our city. But in sports, there's no I in team, which we said, and we put that above. Another one is our military. Okay, there's a reason when a new recruit goes into the branch of the military, they give them a uniform and they shave their heads. Why? Because they're saying the unit, the team, is more important than the individual. They're trying to get them to think in community and in, and in team and family. Are you with me? Okay, so that's an example. But in an Eastern mindset where community is placed higher of importance than individual, it's very different. The most important entity in those types of cultures is community. It's family. Oftentimes the family desire and the family dynamic is more important than what Sue or Johnny want. Oftentimes the tribe is more important than the individual itself. Let me give you an example of that. I mentioned family. It's often why there's arranged marriages. Okay, the family is, speaks into that decision. Uh, let me give you another example in regards to evangelism and missions. One of, sometimes one of the great challenges for our international workers or missionaries 
is to overcome the family dynamic in evangelism when they go share the gospel to different parts of the countries. And we here in the Alliance have schools and classes that help our international workers learn and understand that. So let me explain. It's, it's really hard for us to understand sometimes in, in our Western thinking. A missionary goes and they share the gospel with an individual. And they share the gospel, say that all of sin falls in the shore of the glory of God. If you have not placed your faith in Christ, in Christ one day you will spend eternally in hell. And so that person, they, they lead that person to the Lord. And so you accept Christ and one day you'll spend an eternity in heaven. In Eastern cultures, there are times where that individual goes, well, why would I want to go someplace, heaven, to spend eternity when my family will not be there? Because being with family is of ultimate importance. So oftentimes our missionaries will see that God saves and brings redemption to an entire family or tribe because they value that more than the individual. Does that help you understand? Okay, the Bible actually gives us an example of this. You know the story in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are arrested and in jail. And in the midnight, I love this story because it involves worship. They're chained, they're in the jail, and they're singing, and they're worshiping. And what happened? God sets them free. And the jailer, the jailer comes to know the Lord. And the jailer goes to Paul and Silas, and he says, what must I do to be saved? And do you remember the answer of Paul and Silas? Paul and Silas say, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your whole household. And then the jailer and his entire household were saved. Now in our Western mindset, we think, okay, the jailer was saved, went back and individually one by one, they came to know the Lord. And that could have happened, but I believe this also paints a picture of a family because of the importance of community and family all coming to know the Lord. So we have the difference in the mindset of a Western that values the individual versus an Eastern mindset that values community and family above the individual. Alan, why have you spent 10 minutes explaining and talking to that about that? Because it directly ties into this text. The culture of the Bible, it actually applies to the whole Bible. The Bible itself, if you begin in the Old Testament, the stories and the people that we read in the Old Testament had an Easter mindset that would have valued community and people more than individual. So as we read the Old Testament, to better understand the context, we have to realize and remove our cultural blinders of Western individualization to understand the stories better because they value community. Do you see the importance when we read the Old Testament? The New Testament is the same way. Jesus comes into the world and lives in an Eastern community-valued system, culture. Paul, as he writes this letter to those house churches in Rome, also was living in a time where community had that Eastern mindset. So as we read this, it's really helpful to understand. Right or wrong, again, that's not the argument, which is better? I'm simply saying, as we read God's word and want to understand context, we have to realize that. So our Western individualistic assumptions can affect our reading of scripture. I'm gonna give you an example to show you what I mean. So here we go. This is another one of Paul's letters. Let me help you explain and show you how this affects how we read the Bible. This is 1 Corinthians 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20. It's a verse you're familiar with. And I purposely put some letters in green. Okay, let's read the verse first. Paul says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? How many have heard that verse before? Okay, you there. Who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, Paul says, for God bought you with a high price. So you, you can catch which verses I'm highlighting here, must honor God with your body. Donna, if you would go back to that very first one. Let's start here. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, let me explain something about the English language. In our English language, we don't have words that differentiate you, meaning singular person, and you, meaning a group. Let me demonstrate. You are awesome. So, am I telling George, you are awesome? Or am I saying, you who are here in this service are awesome? You get this? Now, we have workarounds. And there's one workaround that you're going to know really well. It happens regionally. We use words like y'all, guys, or yins. Have you ever thought about that? So instead of saying, you are awesome, which could be an individual, or it could be a group, if I said, yins are awesome, you would know I'm talking about all of us, you. Say, you see the difference? But many cultures, most cultures and languages, they have words that differentiate between you as an individual and you or yins as a group. And so when we read this, oftentimes in, we're in God's word at seven o'clock in the morning and we're reading God's word and we come to this, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? We, with our Western mindset, go, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, okay? Which is true. But what Paul's saying here, because this word in the Greek is a plural word. We mix up the plural and the singular. We read this as I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. So there are however many million temples of the Holy Spirit walking around all as individuals. Are you see where I'm going here? But in the Greek, this is a plural word. So here's how you could read this. Don't yins realize that yin's body is the temple singular of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm poking fun there, but do you get the picture? Paul is saying, it's not just that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He's pointing to these churches. No, you together, the body of Christ, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are part of a mosaic, a bigger picture. Okay, do you see the cultural, how that can play into understanding? Hope so. We typically reverse those things. Paul's saying all together, all of us, not just you individually, you together represent and are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when someone asks us, why is church important? Why is going to church important? Why is worshiping together in community, in the body of Christ, in his church, significant? Here's why. Because in some way that we may not fully understand, the Spirit of God indwells the community together in a way that it doesn't individually by themselves. 
There is something unique that happens when God's people gather together, his temple, his spirit resonates and comes in a way that it just doesn't when you're by yourself. It's why that we, when we have these worship experiences, that, that we sense God's spirit, is, it's different because we are coming together and his body is coming together. So as we seek the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and to change the way we think, we have to understand that when it comes to the body of Christ, we must think as a body, not as an individual. When it comes to God's church, we need to have body thinking mentality, not individual mentality. This is at the heart of what Paul writes in Romans 12, three through eight. His mosaic picture, the family of God, he uses, which we're gonna see in a moment, and he illustrates, he, and he recognizes that as the body of Christ. He talks about hands and feet. I mentioned that last week. We're the body of Christ, and we're the family of God. And this way of thinking, if we don't recognize it, we don't think it like a body, can be challenging to us as Western readers. We make jokes you can't choose your family, okay? If you've ever had a child get married or you get married, you don't choose your family. And we joke about that. However, when it comes to us talking about church family, we know all too well, yeah, you can when it comes to church family. We pick and choose. Bear with me because I'm gonna step on a few toes here today. Some people change churches about as quick as they do hairstylists. We can change family, church family. And what happens is when momentum of the church is happening, when there's a lot of great things happening in the church and word gets out and there's excitement, people say, I want a part of that action. I want to be a part of that church. But what happens when the opposite takes place? As long as the church provides the services that are meeting my needs, I will be there. As long as the church is meeting those consumeristic attitudes, I'll stick around. But when I no longer approve, or when I'm no longer being fed, or my individual needs are not being met, when I'm not happy with this, when they're not singing this song or doing that or not doing the right growth study or the pastor's not preaching a certain way, when all, you get where I'm going. This consumer mindset moves into our attitudes because we often think individualistically as the body of Christ rather than the community. And let me tell you that that is not biblical Christianity. And it's not thinking as one body. I already stepped on some toes here in the room. Let me step some of the toes of the people watching online. And bear with me for those of you that are here. Some of you are watching online because you need to be. You can't be with us because there are health risks, and I am so grateful. I never want us to lose the online. Some of you work, and this is the only way you can be a part, and you are a part of growth groups, so you're connected to the larger body just because you can't be here. But there are others I know and I believe that you have, like Anne, have disconnected from the body of Christ and you're there and you're an arm's length away because you wanna be connected to Christ but you don't wanna be connected to community. And I'm telling you, it's not a biblical view. It's not a biblical view of what it means to be church. Church, God's people, 
We need to think as one body. So while I understand where Anne is coming from, and while I understand and I too at times get frustrated with the mosaic picture of the body of Christ, you can't just easily break apart from it. In fact, Paul says, you can't, as a Christian, can't break away from the family of God any more than a hand can say, I am no longer going to be a part of the body. Or a foot can say, I'm done with the rest of the body. I'm walking off on my own. Foot, good luck with that. Do you see the picture that Paul paints? We are a family. We're the family of God. So what happens when we shift from thinking individually when it comes to church? What happens when we shift from this, my needs are more important when it comes to the body of Christ than looking at the whole, looking at the body? Three things happen when we think like a body rather than thinking like an individual. Here's the first verse. We read it earlier, Romans 12, 3. Let's look at this verse. Paul says, because of the privilege and authority of God, the authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Paul says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves, Paul says. Don't think you're better are, but measure yourself, your own evaluation. Measure that by the faith that God has given each of us. So when we think like a body instead of an individual, humility happens. The outcome of us thinking like a body, the fruit of that will be humility. Paul says, be honest in your individual evaluations of yourself. And he connects that to measuring the faith God has given us. So what does that mean? Does that mean that Sue has a measure of faith, God gave her more of a measure of faith than George or Alan has a little bit more? No, that's not what that means. God has given all of us an equal measure of faith. Remember at the beginning of this year, our theme for this year is it is by faith. And when when I introduced that, this theme, we talked about the meaning of faith and sometimes how we water that down to think, well, I hope or I trust. Think of it in these terms. We talked about faith, that pistos, which is a Greek word, is far greater than what I believe or I hope I trust. We use two words, allegiance and loyalty. Okay, so God has given us all an equal amount of faith. What has he done to all of it? He has shed his blood on a cross and redeemed all of our sin. And in that, Jesus is faithful to us. He has been loyal and allegiant to us, even though we didn't deserve it. And so when we measure our own evaluation, we recognize, God, you were faithful and loyal to me even when I wasn't to you. Therefore, to those that I don't understand, those that I don't agree with in the body of Christ, I will show faithfulness. I will show loyalty. I will show allegiance to them because we are one body because what you have done for us. That's what it means. And humility, you may have heard this definition. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's rather thinking of yourself less. So in the body of Christ, when we think like a body, we humbly look at each other and go, what do you need? I die to my own personal desires because I wanna hear and learn what are your desires. Then he continues in verse four. Just as our bodies have many parts, this is where he references this illustration of a body. Each part 
Each of us have a special function. So it is with Christ's body, God's church. We are many parts of one body, Paul says, and we all belong to each other. I belong to you. You belong to me. You belong to her. She belongs to you. We all belong to each other. Have you ever noticed that humility and unity often go together? When you find unity, you often will find humility. So when we begin to think of others more than we think of ourselves, all of a sudden, unity begins to grow. When all of a sudden we come together and rather than having monologues where I try to convince you that my way of thinking is right and I'm, I'm, I'm just in my mind, I'm forming counter arguments while you're talking rather than listening or rather than learning, that's not humility. But when all of a sudden we come and go, okay, I, I don't agree with you. <laughs> I really am trying to, ha- I'm really trying to understand. Would you help me? And at the end of the day, we may not get to a point where we agree. The goal here is not uniformity. The goal is unity. But in a spirit of humility, I go, help me understand and help me learn. And that's when unity comes. And here's the last one. Paul says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So when we think like a body, the outcome is humility. And when we think like a body, the outcome is unity. But also, Paul says that when we think like a body, the outcome is diversity. Now, that's a word we use a lot around here. God has called us to follow Jesus in diverse community. Now, when we talk about diversity, oftentimes we reference socioeconomic diversity, ethnic diversity, generational diversity. It's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a diversity of gifts. And he's recognizing that He has graced all of us with different gifts. Now, I'm not going to go through what all of those are. And that list there, and it's it's also, there are other gifts listed throughout the Bible. It's not an exhaustive list. Paul's not saying these are the only gifts they are. He's giving examples. But he's saying, I've given each of you gifts. And so in humility, in unity, the outcome should be diversity where all of these gifts come together And the gifts that we look at are not about individual gifts. They're about feeding each other. They're about supporting one another in humility and in unity because you are better together as the family, as the body of Christ. Let me give you one other example before I close. This morning, I had a meeting with our worship department and we were all gathered. I'm not sure. There were probably close to 100 people there and and in a couple of weeks, I'll, sh- I'll share some of the outcome with that. But if there's a department in the body of Christ, or if there's a group of people in the body of Christ that the enemy often tries to divide and bring division, it's worship. And it often plays out in a lot of churches over opinions. <laughs> it's music styles, all we talked about this morning, all this methodology stuff, okay? But what also happens is there's a lot of division and competition and comparison and all that junk that happens on the platform. I'm grateful that I don't sense that here. I'm not saying I sense it here. But it plays out because we think like individuals rather than community. So what happens is if a worship department all of a sudden is more concerned with how they look or how they sound or 
whether they sing this or not sing that or whether the light is on them or not on them or they have that solo or don't have that solo or they, you get where I'm going? What is that kind of thinking? It's individual thinking. And Paul's saying, no, I've given all of you gifts to do certain things well, but don't think like individuals. Think that gift is for the body. Jealousy, comparison, and competition cannot survive where humility and unity are present. When humility and unity are present, if that's the fruit of thinking, then you won't find jealousy. You won't find comparison, which Theodore Roosevelt, I love, I believe he was the one that said, comparison's the thief of all joy. Because our mindset is on community. It's on the body of Christ. So church, we need to think like one body. Because when we do, humility will be the fruit of that. It'll be the result. Unity will be the fruit and the result of that, as will diversity. Let me end with these words from Jesus. When I was on sabbatical, I'm going to share more later. There's a, this chapter, John 17, was a verse that I kept coming back to and won't go into it all today, but Jesus' prayer, not just for the disciples then, but for all of us. Lord really worked on my heart, and I just want to leave you with these words. Jesus said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and I. I pray that they all will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And he says, Jesus says, and may they be in us. May the body of Christ, may the church be in the Father, be in the Son, be in the Spirit. Why, Jesus says, so that the world will believe you sent me. One of the greatest things that could happen in evangelism or sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ if we were to model unity, body thinking, not individual thinking. Lord, you know my heart and spirit was not to offend people or to step on our own church's toes. Uh, But you stepped on mine this week (laughs) as I looked at my own life. And sometimes, oftentimes, as we look at your word, it cuts and it hurts. But that's what truth does and that's what we should hear and receive. So Lord, I specifically pray for those that may be watching online or those here that are on the verge or have decided like Anne did, that they're through with the body of Christ, but they're not through with you. Would you help them by your spirit recognize that that is impossible? Because just like a hand cannot take itself away from the body, neither can one of your followers remove themselves from the body of Christ. And I pray that our thinking would be body thinking, that you would help us. And in that, that the fruit of that thinking, the transformation of your spirit in us would result in humility with one another, would result in unity in this place and in the global church. 
and it would result in the beautiful diversity of gifts, everyone functioning in the way that you have graced and gifted them to do so. Let it be so in your name. Amen. Everybody say, we are one body. We are. One body. We are.